welcome all of you. Let's stand to our feet. It's the day the Lord has made. We're supposed to do what? Amen. This is our season. I know the world's tried to take it over and uh, make it their own. And then they, once they took it over, guess what they tried to do? Get Jesus out of it. That's how the world does with everything, right? They want to take God's stuff over and then get God out of it. We've done that with our laws, with everything, our school, education. We want to try to take it over, the world does, which the world system belongs to Satan. We understand that. But this is our season. It belongs to us. <clears throat> and there's probably, uh, it's probably uh, clear that Jesus wasn't born this time of year. But there's a t- we need to celebrate God sending him to earth no matter when that happened. Amen. And that's what we do during this season. So let's not give in. Amen. Let's keep our focus and let's be thankful that God in the fullness of time sent his only begotten son, born of a virgin, conceived by the Holy Spirit, to take away our sins so we could live forever. Amen. Let's give the Lord praise for that. That's why we're here. Amen. I want to read to you from uh, Luke this morning. After Mary got the news that she was going to be the carrier of the only begotten son of God. And I'm careful to say the only begotten son, because we're all sons and daughters, but there's a big theological argument about the only begotten son. He is the only begotten son. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. You know what? That ought to motivate us every time we get together. That God sent his son, not only just to give us the good news, but to live it out and to die in our place. So that we could live forever and have eternal life. Do you have a better gift than that under your tree this year? You don't. It's the greatest gift we've ever been given. In fact, our lives would be useless if God hadn't done that. They would. I know it's a harsh reality. But your life and my life would be vanity if God had not sent His Son. She said, My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the lowliest state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. Didn't say they'd worship her. But she's certainly blessed. She's a recipient of divine favor. When you get the call to carry God's only begotten son, you are definitely in favor with the Lord. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And we can all amen that, right? And holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him. From generation to generation. So all of us need to learn that. Amen. For he has shown strength with his arm. Who is the right arm of God? He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones. He has exalted the lowly and he has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. He has spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. What a good word. Those who sit in darkness have seen a great light. And that great light is the only begotten Son of God, Yeshua. We call him Jesus. He's our Lord and Savior. Say it with me. Some trust in chariots and horses, 
but we trust in the name of the Lord. Give him praise. Let's give him praise in this house. You are the wonderful counselor. You are the mighty king. You are the Lord of lords. You are the rose of Sharon. You're the lily of the valley. You are the bright morning star. You are the fairest of ten times. Let's praise him, church. Just lift up your voice as he is. Tell him what he means to you this morning. You're my savior, my God, my king, my Lord. You're everything we need. And you certainly are the very present help in the time of trouble. We praise you, O oh God, Emmanuel. You are with us. No matter where we roam, you are with us. David said, though I make my bed in hell, you are there with me. In the depths of the sea, you are with us, Lord. We praise you. We give you glory. You are Emmanuel. Let's give him praise one more time. He's worthy. Hallelujah. Praise you, Lord. You're worthy. Amen. Children's church is dismissed. The rest of you may be seated. What a wonderful time for us to reflect on God's goodness, His power, by sending His Son. Uh, And we were desperate for that, weren't we? We were desperate. We're going to talk a little more about that next Sunday. Next Sunday is actually Christmas, and so... Uh, We're going to have church next Sunday. (laughs) Um, So uh, get you some coffee in you and come on. (laughs) Uh, If you have your Bibles, let's go back to 1 John this morning. I want to share a couple of things with you uh, as we go back into 1 John. I read an article... uh, this week, and uh, it was about how the church is dying. Of course, God's been good to us, but mainline churches are hemorrhaging churches. They're selling off their buildings left and right. When I say mainline churches, I'm talking about the main denominations that have been around for a long time. They're hemorrhaging their properties and everything. Some of them are turning them into other venues. Most of them are being sold. And so the article had some things to say about one of the downfalls of the church was that it's not getting involved in its community enough. And we've certainly tried to be uh, cognitive of that here with all the mission work and orphans and all the things that we try to get involved in. But the more we involve ourselves in our community, the better off uh, we're going to be and they're going to be. But one of the things the article did not address, and, it, and because it did address it in a negative fashion, was that some of these churches were basically using other gimmicks to just get people to show up. And I just really wonder how many of them are actually teaching and preaching God's Word. You and I, and everybody out there that's lost, there's a part in us, a spirit that's dormant until we come to Christ. But that spirit can only be fed by God's Word. Can't be fed by good stories. Stories will move your emotions. And uh, good songs may move your emotions. But if we sing the Word and teach the Word and preach the Word, that's what ministers to the spirit of people. Nothing else will do that. I don't care how emotional you get. I don't care how determined you get. Nothing else will touch the spirit of man like the Spirit of God and the Word of God. 
And those two are in agreement all the time. And so I'm just concerned. And you know, one of uh, you may remember this time when I was uh, in seminary years ago, I had a project where I visited seven churches on their Sunday morning service. And this has probably been uh, 20 years ago, maybe 25. I visited seven churches. One church used the Bible. One of them. And they used one verse. Two of them, this was in my report that I did in seminary. This has been a while because I'm getting older. Two of them read newspaper articles. I'm not kidding you. It's no wonder the church is in the shape it's in. If you get away from the Word of God, you have nowhere else to go. The Word of God is the only plumb line the world has. Have you heard this new thing that's come about? I'm living my truth. No, you're not. You're living a lie. There is no truth apart from God's Word. And if you're not living according to God's Word, you're living a lie. There's no such thing as your own truth. Peter said there is no private interpretation of the Scripture. You don't get to make the Scripture fit you. You and I come to the Scripture to fit it. We change our lives to fit the Scripture. And that's a big problem in our way. And that was a problem 20-some years ago when I was doing that report. Can you believe that? One church used the Scripture and it used one verse. Two of them used newspaper articles and the rest of them, I can't even tell you what they were doing. That's the biggest problem we have. The church certainly should be involved in the community and we should be active in our community. Jesus said, if you don't believe me for what I say, believe me for what I do. So we should be involved. But we cannot, in the body of Christ, steer away from God's Word. Let's go back to 1 John chapter 1. I'm going to take you on a little journey here. And I want to point out something to you as we go on this journey. A couple of things. Maybe three or four or five. I don't know. We'll see. I've been trying to get to Ephesians 5. And I don't know if I even get there today. Let's see if we can. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the Word of life. The life was manifested, and John said in his gospel that the Word was with God and became flesh and dwelt among us. The life was manifested, we have seen, and bear witness and declare to you the eternal life which was in the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. Now, the Christian life, as I said last week, is a a place where you and I should be happy. If you're not happy in your Christian life, that's not God's will. The fact, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And if you're not living in joy, I'm not saying you don't face adversity at times, but the, the pattern of our lives is that we should be living in joy. Just the very fact of what we sang about and talked about a little bit already of God sending His only begotten Son, that should keep, help keep joy in our lives. Your Christian life should be filled with joy. The reason that's important is because in Joshua, he said the joy of the Lord is our strength. So guess what happens when we lose our joy? We, get, we lose our strength and we become vulnerable to the enemy. It's not God's will for Christians to run around discouraged and beat up all the time. And you can blame it on whoever you want to, but you know whose fault it is? The person you brush the teeth in the morning of. Now, unless you brush in somebody else's teeth besides yours, 
You know, David had all kinds of battles. Some of them he brought on himself, didn't he? But he said he learned to encourage himself in the Lord. He even talked to himself. Did anybody talk to themselves besides me and David? Yeah. Why are you so downcast, oh, your soul? Put your hope in God. Our soul gets waning when we start trying to hope and trust in other things. And so David kept running back to God because he knew that was his hope. Now, we read through a few of these verses, but we're going to keep going this morning. And this is the message which we have heard in verse 5 from him and declare to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness. He can't lie. Amen. He can't do evil. can't be tempted with evil. That's good news for all of us. If we say... Everybody read that with me. If we say, now you're going to see that a lot in these next few verses. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie. Wow. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. If we say. One of the most frustrating things in any facet of life is saying one thing and doing another, right? We said we were going to go on a diet and somebody brought donuts. (laughs) And what we say and what we do contradicts each other, right? Sometimes. Not just in this, but certainly this is the most critical place that can happen. It can happen other places. But he says, if we say, and, the, and then he goes on to say, but, it, but if we walk, in verse 7, in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So there's a constant cleansing going on in your life and my life if you're walking with Christ in the light. That's good news, right? There's this constant cleansing. If, here we go, say it with me, the first three words. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So there's a need, right? He just answered what he just told us needed to happen. There's a need for you and I to be in fellowship with Christ and walk in the light walk in the light so that cleansing is constantly going on because if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Why does God keep interrupting my life? And yours. Why does He keep interrupting our lives? I'm going to tell you why. I wrote something down that I think was very important. Sometimes I get stuff from the Holy Spirit that I have to jot down because I don't want to mess it up. The interference by the Holy Spirit of our inner life is crucial to our spiritual maturity. Because without the interruptions by the Holy Spirit, we will remain comfortably at rest in false ideas of what it means to please God. I can testify to that. The Holy Spirit interrupts our lives because we get comfortable in our own ideas of what we think God expects and wants out of us. Instead of being led by the Holy Spirit on a regular basis, we get in routines and situations like... We become like Pharisees and Sadducees. Some people got such a rigid schedule for their life that if the Holy Spirit come by and said, I want you to drop all that, they would rebuke Him 
like Peter did Jesus. They'd say, not so, Lord, because at 9 o'clock, we do such and such. And the Holy Spirit said, yeah, but I'd like you to let drop that today. I want you to do something else. And that's how God wants us to be led as Christians. I'm going to read that to you again. Why? First, I'm going to ask this question. Why does God keep interrupting our lives? Because the interference by the Holy Spirit of our inner life is crucial to our spiritual maturity. You're not, you, none of us have arrived. We're all still on a journey. Because without the interruptions by the Holy Spirit, we remain comfortably at rest in the false ideas of what it means to please God. And I'm going to refer you back to what I quoted from John Chrysostom last week to sum this up. It is not enough to leave Egypt. We must journey to the promised land. Now, have you ever read the Bible before? Have any of y'all read your Bibles? Before I forget, I said Wednesday night to go watch the x-ray clip on YouTube, right? And I said, if you didn't watch it, you could charge $5 when you came to church today. So we're going to have somebody out back collecting $5 when you leave. God's Word, if you read these people's journeys in the Bible, they journey just like the Israelites. They had difficulties, but the difficulties were the interruptions of what was inside of them. Come on now. I got one amen. Because we like to blame everybody else, the devil and all the people around us, and sometimes people get brazen enough to blame God. Shame on you and back off from that. We need these interruptions because what goes on in these people's lives, God sets up situations and events to get their attention about things because these interruptions in our lives are maturing us into what He's called us to be. Look at the next one. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, there it is again, if we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His Word is not in us. Now, I'm not one of those guys that believe you have to sin every day. You know, I heard some of that growing up and I kind of got the attitude, well, I'm going to get up and sin first thing in the morning and get it over with. (laughs) You heard that, right? We sin every day. Now, I'm not saying that it's not possible to sin every day, because it is. But I don't think you have to sin every day, but you're going to miss the mark somewhere, probably regularly. You're going to let some... You know, because it's not just what we do as Christians, it's also things we leave undone that we know the Holy Spirit's asked us to do. So it's, But repentance is a beautiful thing, and it's the first thing we're met with as soon as we come in the gate into the tabernacle, that burnt altar, right? There's where we repent because there's a whole journey waiting on us in relationship time with God that He wants us to receive out of it. And if you go in there with a distraction or I go in there with a distraction, we're not going to receive properly. So God meets us the first thing, a place of repentance, so we can get all that stuff off of us and have a clear conscience, clear mind, and be ready to receive when we go to the laver, the the, uh, table of showbread, the menorah, the altar of incense, and slip behind that veil and wait on God. God wants us undistracted, and nothing is more distracting than being at odds with God. Am I talking to the real people this morning? Has anybody ever been at odds with God? Four of us. The rest of you are at odds with Him right now because you're lying. 
I'm going to have an altar call here in a minute. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm going into chapter 2, these things I write to you so that you do not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Hallelujah for that. Amen. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the whole world. So let me tell you who Jesus is. He's not only the road to get to God, but he's also the vehicle in which you put yourself in to go up the road. He's all in all. He's everything we need. Amen. Now, by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, he keeps coming up with this, don't he? He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. I don't like being called a liar. Do you? Two times that's been said in here. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought, also, ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Now what John distinguishes between in his writings over and over is we are going to find ourselves sometimes when we sin, Right? But what John distinguishes against, and Paul actually does this in some of the list he puts out, he talks about practice, what we practice, right? What is? He said, we should practice righteousness. That's what we've been called to practice, right? We should practice righteousness. We used to, it's a long word, we used to practice sin, right? But thanks be to Christ, we no longer practice. Do we still sin? Yeah, from time to time we do. But we don't practice sin any longer. You see what's happened? There's a shift went on. We used to practice sin, and occasionally we do something good, right, to make our conscience at ease. But now, since we've been born again, we practice righteousness. Do we fail from time to time? Yeah, sometimes. But we don't practice that stuff anymore. We get in trouble and you're going to see that in just a minute when Paul talks about that again, about how practicing sin will get, get you destroyed. That's how it works. Now he says, if uh, he who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you which is the thing is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and true light is already shining. Now that's the journey we're on, right? If I could take you back to Romans for a minute, the Bible, the Greek says it like this, when we're born again, old things are passing away and all things are becoming new. So you're on a journey. You've got to leave Egypt, but you've got to get to the promised land. We're all on a journey. And the Greek, and this is really important, the Greek it says, uh, and the English said, all things work together for good of those who are called, and you know that passage probably. The Greek says it like this, God enters into all things to work them for good. In other words, some of the messes we create, God's not responsible for. But He's such a good God, He's willing to enter into all of them and bring good out of it. Look at David with Solomon and all that mess, right? So God is willing to step into your mess. He's just waiting for you to reach out and cry out to Him. 
That's all he was waiting on with Israel. He said, if you'll cry out to me, right, my hand's not waxed short. So God's not responsible for all of our junk, but he's willing to come into our junk and bring something good out of it, right? And what does he say in Isaiah? He said, he'd give us beauty for ashes, glory for despair, right? He, he's willing to give us a trade, right? He's willing to take all of our junk and give us something better. And that's what Christianity's all about. And then he goes on to say, he says, he, here it is, he who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. Hating, I'm going to make this clear. And Christmas time is a good way to get over it. All right? Hating, or any time's a good time, but we'll just call it a good time. Hating and unforgiveness is illegal in the kingdom of God. You need to settle that this morning. Hating someone and not forgiving them is illegal in the kingdom of God. If you want to stop the work of the Holy Spirit in your journey, that's the quickest way to do it right there. Why? Because you and I were loved while we were yet sinners and enemies. The Bible said we were enemies of God when He saved us. And our righteousness was as filthy rags. We should have fell under the Old Testament, the law of the ass in the Old Testament. We should have had our necks broke when we come out of the womb. But God in His love and mercy has offered redemption to us. And we didn't deserve it. And we certainly haven't earned it. And we probably give Him fits since He has saved us. Can you say amen? And He keeps loving us and working with us, right? So these two things are illegal in the kingdom of God. You're not allowed to hate and you're not allowed to hold unforgiveness. So you need to settle that today. If you'll settle that today, this week, whatever, quick as you can, that'll be the greatest gift you'll get this year to yourself. You can gift yourself. You can get yourself something real nice by forgiving and stop hating. I know people, and you may know people like this too, that are still bound or controlled by somebody who's dead. That person's in the grave, and they're bound by that because they have hatred or unforgiveness. They still have a hold on them, and they're dead. That's no good. That ain't no good. And our sister Mary can tell you (laughs) that. I've always said this, and she knows this is true. Funerals bring out the best in people or the worst. There ain't no in-between. They either come there loving on each other or fist fighting and, and fighting over who gets the dish or whatever. I've been in some doozies. And so, and I'm sure she's been in more doozies than I have. But, but God wants us to love and forgive. Take those moments to love and forgive. Can you say amen? He who says he's in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So the whole thing that is being trying to get across here is how important it is for us to abide and walk in the light. Right? That's what he's trying to get across. Nothing's more frustrating than saying something and, and the, the reality of doing it is the opposite. If you say this, but you're only willing to do this, then what you're going to have to do is drop what you say down to here. 
because you're going to be frustrated. Or bring up what you're doing to what you're saying, right? I'll tell this story on myself. It's been years ago before I even had any children. But I had learned, the Lord had taught me how to pray, and He taught me how to pray before um, I was ever married. When I came home from the coal mines, I would go straight to the creek bank behind the house. I still lived at home at the time. I wasn't no dummy, saving all the money I could. My mama's cooking. So I went go and pray before I would clean up, you know. And when you get out of the coal mines, you're uh, covered with coal dust. And you can see your eyes, and that's about it. <laughs> and stick your tongue out. But uh, uh, so I would go pray, and the Lord really taught me how to pray. And he put me, connected me with a guy who's gone on to be the Lord, who was another coal miner who never even finished uh, school and but he really knew how to talk to God, and he would take me. He he helped me learn how to pray. He never even finished uh, high school, but he he knew God, and he knew how to get in touch with God. And he taught me how to pray. I went. I never forget going to his house and praying. He would take me different places. He'd take me in the mountains sometime. Sometimes we'd go to the church and pray, and sometimes we'd go to his house. And I remember going to his house, and he did this whether I was there or not. And every day he would go in every bedroom where his children were at while they were at school, and he would pray over those bedrooms. He would pray for their spouses. They weren't even close to getting married. He'd pray for all, and he'd just cover his whole house every day. God, he is a, he's faithful, and he wants us to have interaction with him. But I had gone through this process of praying, but I had let up, right? Anybody ever let up in your spiritual journey? And I remember sitting in, in Cincinnati, Ohio, with a bunch of preachers, and they were, we were talking about prayer, and one of them pointed at me and said, uh, said, if you want to know a guy that prays, right there's a guy that prays. He pointed his finger at me. And I, I felt such conviction because I used to pray the way he was talking about. But at that moment, I had backslidden from that kind of prayer. And so I asked the table, I said, I need to be excused. And I went outside in the parking lot and got behind some big bushes there. I was thinking it was at the Olive Garden. And I repented. I had to go repent. Now here's what I want to challenge you on this morning. I do want to challenge you. Is there any part of your spiritual life that you would have to say, I used to do that? I used to read God's Word faithfully. I used to attend church faithfully. I'm talking to the whole world right now. I used to pray faithfully. I used to witness. I used to give we don't want anything like that to have to be said about us. So I'm using myself as an example. I felt horrible. I felt great conviction. I felt ashamed because what he was saying about me used to be the reality when that happened. And so I had to re-up. You know why the Holy Spirit has to interrupt our lives? Because some of the things in our lives used to be going on that are not going on now. And that's what the Holy Spirit has to do. He stirs us up. Keeps us stirred up because we can lose sight of what's important, right? Any of us can lose sight of what's important. So we don't want to have to say, I used to do that. So walking in the light is what John's trying to get across. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians 5, Paul talks about some of this. He's telling us to walk in love and he's telling us, what did John say? If we say we walk in light, we ought to do what Jesus does, right? We ought to walk like Him. Paul starts off with the same thing, basically. He says, therefore, 
be imitators of God as dear children. Imitate God. If you want somebody to imitate, it's not somebody uh, off the internet. It's the Lord. It's not somebody off a uh, talk tick or whatever that's called. Uh, you all know what I'm talking about. I don't know what I'm talking about, but you all know what I'm talking about. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ has also loved us and given Himself for us an offering and sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. And then what he says, he says, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as fitting for saints. That's all sexual immorality. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting. We ought to be careful with our mouths, right? The Bible says in James that bitter water and sweet water can't come out of the same fountain. Which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. They ought to hear us. And this goes back to what I started off last week. Your Christian life ought to be a fragrance to others. You ought to be living in joy. You and I should be living in joy. And other people should be able to, to feed off of that. Look what he says. For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ and God. That's pretty plain talk, right? Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. The sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with him. So he's given us some good instruction. He's telling us first that we should be imitating God, we should be walking like that. Then he gives us some warning that if we're going to live like the world, right, we're going to not have any inheritance in the kingdom. He says, for you were once darkness. Here we go. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Now that's basically John was hammering that on us, right? If we say this, but we don't do this then we're not really walking in the light. So Paul is stressing to us the importance of walking in the light. He says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. That God's stuff is all bound into goodness, righteousness, and truth. Uh, uh, That we may know, Paul said in Romans, right, what is that good and perfect and acceptable Will of God. Now that's three adjectives modifying one subject. In other words, there's not, and this was taught, horrendously taught in churches years ago, that there are three wills of God, acceptable, good, and perfect. That is not what's being said there. That makes God less than perfect when He says, I'm okay with you being what I've not really called you to be. That's not who God is. When you are not in God's will... Or I'm in not God, and not in God's will. It's not that God is settled and said, I'm good with that. It's that we're experiencing mercy. But in the Greek, there are three adjectives modifying that one object, right? Uh, good, God's will is good, it's acceptable, and it's perfect. That's what's being said there. Not three wills. Not some kind of idea that God's okay with you being less than what He's created you to be. Now, we all are at times, and we're all on a journey. But what we're experiencing is God's mercy, not tolerance. God is not a tolerant God. 
If he, if he had three wheels, he would be tolerant. But he has one wheel that's good, acceptable, and perfect. God is not tolerant or he would have never nailed his son to the tree. God is merciful. Tolerance suggests that God's okay with something less than what he believes. That's never going to be true. God is merciful to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all would come under repentance. That's what you're experiencing. You are not experiencing tolerance from God. He is not tolerant. If he were tolerant, he would have never nailed his son to the tree. God is merciful. There's a big difference between that. He's merciful. He's long-suffering. And he keeps wooing us. He keeps interrupting our lives to bring us to that expected end. He who started a good work in us, is anybody feeling that besides me? Will be faithful to finish it. Amen? Somebody ought to give God praise for that. And if you're sitting beside your spouse, you can shout hallelujah because God's not through with them. Right? I think I heard my wife over there saying something. I heard one wife right here saying something. And so God is faithful. Amen? He is faithful. Now look, look what he says. He says, finding what is acceptable, what is acceptable to the Lord. Do you live like that? Do you just have a life that you've set up and you love, you love God and you're all in to some degree? But do you just have a life you've set up and you just think God's always good with your agenda? Did Paul and Jesus ever reroute themselves? we got some Christians that would never reroute themselves. You know what that is? That's a Pharisee. Come on now. The Lord wants to reroute you sometimes. Can you say amen? He does interfere in our lives if we let Him. And we cannot pull that same stunt Peter did that said, Get behind me, Satan. Right? When he said to Jesus the wrong thing, he had no idea what was going on. Because he had something else made up in his mind. Are you getting up in your life and seeking out what's acceptable to God? That's what we all should be doing. Every one of us should be doing. But we're, we're, we live in a culture and we can't fall into that as Christians where they're just finding what people are accepting with, right? And I, 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 don't, I don't know, I, and I'm, I'm probably, uh, probably Stephen Covey, I don't know that he was a Christian. But he said something that was interesting to me uh, when he come out with seven habits of highly effective people. I don't know if some of you may remember that. But he said something. Our culture has shifted to where it's no longer character that's needed to move forward. I'm putting this in my own words. But he said, it's what you can get people to perceive about you. It don't have to be true. It's just put it out there. And now... You know, it, uh, the media's gotten so more vast and advanced than even when he wrote that, in, I think it was in the 90s. And so you think about that. It's, it's what people, they want you to perceive them as, right? you got to be careful. You people that date off the Internet, you better be careful. You better be real careful. You may get something you didn't bargain for. And now we, we know people that have done that. So you can get people to perceive something that's not true. And, that, and well, that's, dis, that's disheartening, isn't it? That it's no longer character. How many athletes and politicians do we know 
that get the megaphones and, and their personal lives are horrid. Horrid. Movie stars. People like that. They got these, their, their personal lives are horrid. He says, and then he says, finding out what is acceptable, Lord. And look, he's saying basically the same thing John's saying. And have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Now, I want to I talk about this for a second here. He uses a word there that's uh, maybe not the best word in English to use there, but it's a, it's a, it gets our attention, right? He says, don't have any fellowship with darkness, but expose it. Now, what's he talking about? Are you supposed to run around getting everybody's business and put it on Facebook and the Internet? You think that's what he's talking about? Probably not. But what is he saying there when he tells us to expose darkness? Uh, the Greek word is elencho. And it's the word we translated expose. And elencho uh, has a very powerful meaning. I set you up for this. Let me go, let me read a couple more verses so you'll, you'll get the full meaning. And have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed, there it is again, are made manifest by the what? Light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Now, that word elincho means to bring to the light. That's what it means. Bring it to the light. Now, I'm going to get as elementary as I can get with you this morning. Everybody in this building, myself included, should be like little children. We should come to this book and whatever it says is right. No ifs and buts about it. No, you don't have your own truth. I don't have my own truth. We should be that elementary with God's Word. Take His Word at face value. And if God's against something, I don't care if your best friend's involved in it, you're against it. If God's against something, I don't care if your grandchild's involved in it, you're against it. Right? Doesn't mean you have to injure them. Doesn't mean you don't show them love. It just means you've got to take a stand. If we're not going to be the people that stands for this, then we'll help deceive the next generation. Do you understand that? Amen. We're going to be helping deceive them. I'm not saying you have to be mean. I'm not saying you have to run around and get in everybody's business because that's not what he's saying there. He's just saying bring it to the light, right? First, he's talking about us. When you got something that you're feeling uneasy about, bring it to the light. See what the Holy Spirit said. And that's why we're in this body together. Get with somebody you trust and know, you know they're in the Word. Bring it, bring it to them if you have to. Use one another. We're brothers and sisters, right? But bring this stuff to the light. You're in a circle of people. Everybody's going off, off the rails and getting away from God's Word. You got a chance to do what? You don't, have, you don't have to injure them or expose everybody's personal problems, but you got a chance to bring it to the light. Right? You bring it back to God's Word. You bring it back to Jesus. It's a beautiful word that we're seeing here, that we should bring everything to the light. Right? And uh, I love what uh, my buddy, who's a promise keeper, back when they were doing that and all that, he, he, said, he said when he runs across somebody that's serving a false god, and anybody that's not following Jesus Christ is, is serving a false god. 
Now, I'm not apologetic about that. I'm not mad about it. I'm, it's just the truth. But he said when he run across somebody that, like that, he would say, instead of just attacking them, he would say, well, how's that working out for you? How's it working out serving Buddha, who's still in the grave, by the way? Who never claimed to be deity? That's another thing about Buddha. He never claimed to be deity. They made him deity 700 years after he's gone. Jesus did claim to be deity. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No man comes to the Father unless he comes right through here. And either he was egotistical or he's what he said he was. And the grave, coming out of the grave, proved that he's what he said he was. And then, then he said, I get the opportunity to tell them how Christ works for me. So you can be, you can be in people's business, be smart about it. Like Paul, he said, let me tell you who the unknown God is, right? You can use those kind of tactics, but we cannot not, let me say this right, we cannot not bring things to the light. That's our job. Starting with us first, right? We bring them to the light. And when you're in a, it doesn't mean you run people down getting their business. That's not what he's saying. But when you're in a moment, in a situation, because the Holy Spirit's with you and he's at work, right? So when he gives you that opportunity, bring things to the light. Okay, the next time, here's another line that I use quite often. Somebody says, well, I don't believe it that way, or I don't, I don't know. I say, well, let's, let's go to God's Word and see what He says about it. Take them to the light. Exposing it means bringing it to the light. Start with yourself. You know, if you're uneasy about something, bring it to the light. That's, that's the best way to stay clean. And walk with God. I didn't mean shut my Bible. I gave y'all false hope there. <laughs> I'm almost done though. Look at this. It gives me a few verses here. Look at the next thing he says after he says, hey, bring it to the light. Everybody say that. Bring it to the light. When your children say, should I date that person? Bring it to the light. Bring it to the light. Whatever it is, bring it to the light. He says, therefore, he says, Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. There's another place he cautions us about sleeping, several places actually. That's why you get these interruptions from the Holy Spirit in your life. So he, because he's trying to do things and bring us into an expected end. See then you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Redeeming the time. If that was true then, how much more true is it now? We need to be redeeming the time in, there, in our moments here because we live in an evil time. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. He didn't say understand what one of the wills of God is. He said understand what the will of the Lord is and do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God, the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Submitting to one another in the fear of God. Now, I've said this to a few people. I don't know if I've said this publicly, but what I went through 10 weeks ago 
was a gift from God. It was a gift from God. Because it's a lot of things in my life, my perspective has changed. He's shown me things that I would not have seen had He not given me this gift. He, had an, he has an expected end for me, and that, that was part of my journey. I could have, you know, in the natural, I could have not got up out of that gas station. But God had an expected end. He interrupted my life again, and I'm thankful for that. And that's His gift to me. We're supposed to give thanks in all things. God is working in and out of our lives. He's interrupting it from time to time because He has an expected end for you. And you know what I learned fresher in the last 10 weeks? That He has an expected end that's beyond what I thought. That's how he is with all of us. You may be sitting here this morning. Let me just minister right here for a minute before I quit. You may be sitting here this morning and you've settled. And maybe that's part of the reason that you're not as happy as a Christian as you ought to be. I'm not saying that shoe fits anybody in here, but if it does, so be it. God, what about Joshua? He's 110 years old and had revival. Got renewed. What about Abraham? What about all these guys that look like their journey and they were getting ready to start drawing Social Security and God said, hey, I got something for you. You're not going down there sitting on that sand drinking lemonade with umbrellas in it. I got something for you. Right? And I want that. I want God to get every ounce of, of, of me He can get. And if that stops at 69 or 99, I don't want to be doing my own thing when I'm 75. I want to keep doing His thing. That'll change. I'm sure that'll change. It'll probably look different. But I didn't come down here to live life to do my own thing. Not once I got saved. I belong to Him. That attitude's got to shift. You don't get to do your own thing if you belong to Him. You'll change. He'll let, he won't put probably physically the load on us as we get older, but He's still got things for you and I to do until He calls us home. And that's what we need to find out. Have you got up lately and said, Lord, what's acceptable to you for me? You guys can come to the instruments. God wants you to walk in all the lights you've been given. I mentioned this last week. You don't, you're not in competition with somebody else. You don't have to walk in all the light that I'm walking in or vice versa. You're responsible, though, to walk in all the light that you've been given or have the opportunity to know. Now, we can reject God and not step into those moments and that light He's trying to give to us but you are responsible and I'm responsible to walk in all the light I'm given. doesn't matter what anybody else around me is doing. And people are at different levels, right? We come into the kingdom at different times. We start learning the ways of God. We leave Egypt. We're headed to the promised land. And when you've got three million people plus, they're scattered out for miles. There's people way back there seeing the scenery that you've already seen a few days before. See what I'm saying? So you're not... You're not traveling at the same spot as everybody else. 
We're all at different spots. We're not in competition. I'm not trying to keep up with somebody. I'm trying to walk in all the light God's given me. And as that light comes, then I become responsible. I may reject it. I may run from it. But as it comes, I become responsible. When I was called at 17 years old to preach the gospel, I ran for two years or two and a half. I was responsible two and a half years earlier. That's why my life took a turn for the worse. Everything started going bad when I was running because I, I was not accepting God's will for my life. And so my, I had some bad times during that season in a lot of different areas because I was not pursuing God's will. What will be the most costly to any of us in this life will be not to pursue God's will. It won't be that job you thought you should have had you didn't get. God's bigger than all that. It won't be that friend that you wish you had that somebody else got. He's bigger than all that. The thing that will stifle us the most in this life is when we say no or miss the will of God. Let's stand our feet. Father, we thank you for revealing the light to us. I thank you, Lord. Though I myself have been aggravated at times in the course of my journey because of your interruptions, I thank you for them today. I thank you for interrupting our lives to mature us, to take us to greater light so that we can be more like you, so that you can finish the work you started in us your will for everybody under the sound of my voice is good acceptable and perfect that's your will so as we stand before you today all of us have plans probably things in life can happen to change that kind of reworks us we rethink things but it's your plans that prevail. We want them to prevail. I don't want to live a life for me. That's not why I became a Christian. I want to live a life for you. If you're here this morning, you're not ready to meet Jesus. If he called your name today for you to stand before him, we open this altar to you. If you're listening to my voice out there, somewhere in the world, or get this podcast. If you're not ready to stand before Jesus, you can do something about that today. You can repent and ask for Him to forgive you. Ask Jesus to come into your heart just like He came into the world. He can come into your world and forgive you and change your life and give you eternal life. Something you can never do for yourself. The greatest gift the Son of God. Maybe you're here this morning and you have other needs. Maybe you just need to awake this morning and step into the light that you know God's shown you for your personal life, for your spiritual journey, and for the things He's given you to do. This altar is open as we worship.